Well, again, good morning and welcome to uh, Bergen Park Church. It is great to see you here. Uh, just kind of quick, uh, quick recap. At uh, right after the service, we're going to have a congregational meeting, so we're going to step out for like ten minutes. And I really want to encourage you to come back in. You know, when I was a new pastor, I got to tell you something. I didn't want anyone to come to the congregational meeting because <laughs> I, fr- I was afraid they wouldn't come back. Because the character of how we talked about things, what we pursued, it wasn't Christ-like. That's not Bergen Park Church. What we're doing at this congregational meeting is not just talking about uh, where we are, which we're going to look at our finances. It's going to take about 30 minutes to the entire meeting. But we're also going to be honoring some of our uh, volunteers that serve here. Each volunteer, you know, you allow us to do what we do. We could not do this without the volunteers that are in our children's area, those that are running sound right now, and the video screen, those that are outside protecting us. It requires a community of people to allow this to be successful. And so we want to honor those among us who have served and sacrificed. And so we're going to do that. There's a special person that doesn't know he or she is going to get recognized, but they're going to get recognized. It's going to be some exciting. It's going to be fun. But we're also going to be talking about uh, the vision and where God's taking us. There's going to be some reports from the elders, from myself, talking about how God is working through this community and what we see ourselves doing five, ten years from now. And so please, it's just going to be 30 minutes right after the service. You can walk out, get some coffee, come back in and, and join us for that. So it's good to see you here. Hey, if you grab a Bible, there's actually one available right uh, in the seat in front of you, hopefully, or if you just reach over your neighbor, maybe you can ask he or she until they'll grab that Bible for you. We're going to jump in. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. You're going to read verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord. And likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without words by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives with an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray. Father, as, as we set this time aside, uh, you remind us that a, a unique mystery takes place, that as the body of Christ comes together, uh, you're with us. Forgive us for not acknowledging that you're here. Father, forgive us for, 
often diminishing uh, your word and, and not allowing it to, to speak into our lives, but sometimes bringing to your word our own baggage and challenges, whether some of those come from the pain of the past or just the misunderstanding of the present. Lord, I want to ask through the power of your spirit that you would speak. And Father, may the outcome be that we as the, the servants of Christ would glorify and honor you in each aspect of our lives. So Father, bless this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So can I tell you something? I know I can. This whole week, I've been very nervous about this text. <laughs> and your laughter tells me that I should be. <laughs> This is a wildly unpopular passage. And it could be unpopular because of bad experiences, misapplication. And to that, uh, I think the church needs to take responsibility for abusing a text like this. Husbands need to take responsibility. Leaders need to take responsibility for abusing a text like this. But also, um, can we be honest that all of us you know, bring our own cultural understanding to a passage like this. You know, a topic as important as marriage, uh, the reality is all of you have opinions. It's, it's not like you don't have an opinion on marriage. All of us come to a text like this, and we make certain assumptions about what it means, and then maybe based on bad experiences, bad examples, bad teaching, uh, we think, okay, uh, that, that must be how this is going to work itself out. And so, I think when we come to a passage like this, we're carrying a lot of baggage. And I want to tell you, I can't answer all those questions. But I can. I think what we can do is approach the text with humility. And what I think that means is really for all of us to own the reality that we haven't done marriage well. And I'm speaking for myself first and foremost, and then on behalf of the church to say, the church has not done marriage well. The divorce rate inside the church, and I'm not blaming anyone that's been divorced, hear me, I'm just suggesting that the divorce rate and, and the way that marriages work inside the church doesn't look a lot better than outside the church. And I think that's a failure on us, one, to humble ourselves, and then two, to say, as Eric was singing and the worship team saying, Father, in our marriages, we're desperate without you. I mean, we're lost without you. Marriage is lost without God, because God is the creator of marriage. He's, he's the creator of what womanhood means. I don't know if you realize that. Even though we call God Father, women, your femininity, who you are as a woman, comes from God the Father. He is more, He contains more of what a woman is than a woman herself. He is the fullness of that. Do you realize that? But He's also God our Father. He is he contains what it means to be a husband. You see in God the Father both what women and what men and how they're supposed to express their uniqueness as created in the image of God. We see that in the person of God. And so as we, we start off this morning, I think we need to begin simply with repentance. What do I mean by that? It's just admitting we haven't done marriage well. I don't think the church has done marriage well. And so with that said, let's allow God to speak to us. 
and admit, I guess right now, maybe where we're starting from. Some of us have had really bad experiences. And again, it could be bad experiences in the church, or it could be bad examples in the home. And I imagine for most of you, the vast majority, more than likely didn't grow up in a home where the marriage reflected the love between Christ and the church. I love my parents. They're great people. Uh, They sacrificed for my brother and I. They cared for us. They created a loving home, but they did the best they could with what they had. And so when I got married, I tell you, I brought in my own operating system. You with me? And it wasn't scripture and it wasn't the love of God. I brought an operating system. You know what your default system is. It's what you go back to when everything else breaks down. You go back to the operating system. And I'll tell you what I remember is just what I grew up with. I remember the the arguments that would happen. I remember how things wouldn't get addressed. How sometimes there would be fighting and flighting. And all of us kind of follow it, fall in those modes that we Though we may reject what our parents did and try to run as far from it, it's still affecting us. Or maybe we try to completely adopt how they lived and how they carried it out. I imagine the reality is for most of us, we haven't had a great example of what it looks like to live as a godly husband and a godly wife. And so all of us are kind of coming into this naked in some ways, asking God to clothe us. But as we jump into this passage, here's what I want to lay over a passage like this. You've got to see the big picture. That what this passage first and foremost is about isn't just about marriage. Because what he says, if you look back in the text, I think it's in in verse 16. He reminds us first before he talks about marriage of who we are. And he says that fundamentally before you're a husband, before you're a wife, before you're a child, You're a servant. And so notice in verse 16 how he captures it. He says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So husbands, as we enter into a conversation about marriage, notice that we're going to enter as servants. That's our primary position. And likewise, wives, we enter into the marriage conversation as, as servants, that we're free. Now, freedom doesn't mean freedom to do what we want. In our culture, in the American culture, freedom is thought of as the absence of restriction, right? Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. The Bible does not just say what you're free from, absence of restriction. It says what you're free for. God has set us free, meaning our identity, my self-worth, doesn't come from what I look like. My self-worth doesn't come from what you think of me right now. It doesn't come from the money I have. It comes from what my Father says about my Heavenly Father says about me because of His love for me through Jesus Christ. And so I'm free, which means I'm free to serve God's purposes and not just my own. I've died to self. That's the good news of the gospel is we don't have to live for our own desires because I don't think our own desires take us to where we think we want to go. Let's be honest. If you just followed your own desires, what would it do with your relationships? How did it do with your relationships? Would it take you to a place where your relationship, husbands and wives, and does it look like a place of peace and harmony? I know sometimes we think we can just trust 
our own desires, but you're going to find in life, certainly as you get older, right, your desires contradict themselves. I want this, I want this, I want that, I want that. It's kind of back and forth. And so what we do is we submit ourselves, say, God, would you teach us? And so first and foremost, we talk about marriage, we're talking about entering into this relationship as servants. And there's two things he says as we live as servants in the world that we have to keep in front of us. And even as we talk about marriage, he says, first of all, in verse 9, that our purpose as servants is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what marriage is. It's an opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of God, to show that we're no longer enslaved to our desires, but we have a relationship between husband and wife that proclaims the excellencies of God. That's what marriage is about. But then second, he says down in verse 11, we have to abstain from the desires of the flesh. And so as we walk into this, we keep those two things in tension. One, I'm a servant whose purpose is to proclaim that God is good. Not just that I am wonderful. Proclaim that I'm dying to myself so that I might submit myself under the goodness of God and His commands. Now, why do we submit ourselves under God's commands? Good question. Certainly when you hit passages like this that could cause pain. You know, the reason we submit ourselves to passages like this is not because we agree with them. I know that sounds wrong, doesn't it? You know why you trust in passages like this? Because Jesus Christ died for your sins, and on the third day He rose again. It's the resurrection of Jesus that causes us to submit to the Word of God. We submit because Jesus rose from the dead. And we trust if He rose from the dead, if He has rescued us through the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, then we trust what God says even when Sometimes in our own selfishness or in our own flesh, we say, hey, the warning signs start to go on and say, I've had a bad experience. I'm not going to go there. So you with me? So as we walk into this, we walk in as servants. So let's discover together what, what this text says. And what I want you to notice if you pick it up in verse 1 is the context that he's speaking to isn't just husbands and wives, but rather he's referring to wives that are living under unbelieving husbands. Now, we could take that a step and apply it a little bit more to our context and say maybe wives who are living with disobedient husbands, meaning husbands that aren't fully surrendering themselves to Jesus Christ, but are yet their husband. Now, in the first century, this was a dangerous place to believe because realize women flocked to Jesus. I don't know if you realize that. In the first century, Christianity, unlike any other philosophy, religion, liberated women. And think about it. We're about to celebrate Easter in a month. Who are the first people that showed up at the tomb? It was women. And when they came back and told the men, they didn't believe. Why? Because that's how it happened. In the first century, you wouldn't write a story, you wouldn't write a novel and put women at the center because women and their testimony wasn't respected even in a court of law. And yet, Christianity in the Bible, we put forth women as really the first believers, like Mary, in what Christianity is about. They, they responded to the resurrection. So the gospel liberated women, raised their value. 
And so in the context of unbelieving husbands, he says, wives, verse 1. Oop, I'm in James. <laughs> Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, that's kind of ugly word, isn't it? And yet we should be used to it. This is the third time he said that. He, he talked about it, first of all, when he spoke of our relationship to governing authorities, and he said, all of us, be subject to governing authorities, even if, ready? Even if they're unjust. The emperor that Peter is uh, living under is the Emperor Nero, incredibly unjust. And yet, in the face of injustice, Peter says, to live as servants, you honor the emperor. That doesn't mean you agree with the emperor. It doesn't mean you like the emperor. It doesn't mean you voted for the emperor. You honor the emperor with your words and with your actions. And so he says we are to subject ourselves, which means to get under the mission of someone else. And then he talks about it a second time when he refers to masters and slaves, which in some ways can relate to the workplace. That in the workplace, you may be under unjust employment, an unjust master, and yet he holds total power over you in that he holds your livelihood, he holds your future, he holds the direction of the company, and yet do we honor the person who is an authority over us, though at times we may disagree? And then he comes in chapter 3 and he uses the same word. So it's not a word that we should be afraid of because it's not a word that's just applied to women. It's a word that's applied to all of us. First of all, all of us submitting ourselves to the Lord. That He is our Lord and Master, and therefore I subject myself. I get under God's mission. And then I do it with the public uh, the governing authorities. Then I do it in the workplace. And then I do it in the home. That there's a concept of this that begins not with women. I don't know if you realize this. It actually begins with men. Because as we're going to get into this, men, God has called us to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Not because women can't, but that is the unique way God has called you to live out the identity that we have in Christ and in God, to lead spiritually in the home. Well, let me ask you, how are you doing submitting yourself in the places you need to submit yourself? Because you're giving your wife an example of what it looks like. What does it look like to honor those who are in positions of authority? Do we slander our boss when we come home? Hey, honey, he's an idiot. Well, don't be surprised when she says he's an idiot. She's getting it from you. How do you respond to authority? How do you respond when people do things and, and maybe they're unjust or maybe they act in ways, they say things to you. How do you respond in those environments? Do you get under the mission in a way it doesn't tear somebody down. You may, it's okay to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It's okay even at times to disobey because in fact, in verses 1 through 7, the first thing Peter's saying to women is disobey your husbands. Now, why is he saying that? Because these were women who were living under unbelieving husbands, which means he's saying to women, do not worship the gods of your husband. That's kind of subliminal, it's under the text, but he's saying don't worship the gods of your husbands. And if you're going to disobey your husband, do it in a way that's hard for him to disagree with you. You know what I mean. 
You know what it means to be disagreeable, but not to be disagreeable. You know what it means to say, no, absolutely not. I'm going to stand my ground and be independent on this. And yet to show humility, love, self-sacrifice and service. We all know what that looks like. And so the first place I think we have to begin is to say, husbands, how are we doing? And reflecting that kind of humble attitude and self-sacrifice when it comes to all the other areas of life. Because really to submit means to get yourself under, under someone else's mission. And so what does that look like? Well, thankfully, we don't have to, uh, we don't have to guess. Because Peter describes what does it mean for, for a woman to be a servant in the home, to put Jesus Christ first and yet to honor her husband. Listen to what he says. He says, likewise, wives. Now, we're going to talk about why it says likewise. That's like the key of this entire passage. He says, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, meaning they do not believe or maybe they're disobedient, they call themselves Christians in the church, but everything changes when you get home. They may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. We're going to look at a number of things. Actually, what this passage is really focused on is not that first verse in verse 1. It's not primarily about women submitting to husbands. It's actually about wives, women, where do you find your hope? We're going to discover this as we unpack it. Do you put your hope in your husband or do you trust in God? And does your hope come from your external adornment? He talks about you know, not just putting our value and our self-worth in what we own or what we wear, but rather cultivating a soul. And with a soul comes a mind that is beautiful to your Heavenly Father. And so the focus of this passage is really about where we place our hope. And he says that the way that your husband's going to be won over is not with a lot of words. You with me? Where do we tend to go to when there's a disagreement in the home. You ask yourself, I'm not telling you, I'm asking you. When there is a disagreement, right, and he's wrong, and he's wrong. let's just say he's wrong. He, guys, we're, you know, we were wrong. Now, he knows it, but he just can't tell you. This is, I know, I got, I'm sorry, guys, I'm letting her know. Sometimes I can tell my kids, I'll tell you, sometimes I'll go to my boys and say, guys, I'm being a terrible husband, but I can't tell my wife. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't. But what do we get? We go to words. And often those words are filled with arrows. And because you know him, and you know his mom, <laughs> you know his dad, you know his past, you know how to target words in a way that is seeking to destroy his self-respect, his dignity. And men are fueled by respect. That's really what this text is going to get at, is that God has so created men that we are fueled by respect and honor. We are kind of respect and honor beings. That's what we want. We want respect. We want to be seen as someone who is strong and capable to face the challenges that we face. And so he's saying, don't just simply use words. Rather, he's saying with a gentle Spirit. He's not saying without words, but rather, may, may you lead not just with words, but
but with character. And with the kind of character that doesn't, listen, doesn't lead him to what you want, wives, but leads him to what he needs. And your words aren't going to fix him. Right? I mean, your words aren't, what's going to change him is to lead him, your conduct in a way so that through you, he encounters Jesus. What does your husband need? He needs Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for every moment in life. And he's saying, wives, lead in such a way, love in such a way that it draws him to Jesus, that he sees through your character, the person of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, you've got to know where your identity comes from. And I think this is an incredible challenge in the culture in which we're in. You've got to know where your identity comes from. So that's what he's talking about when he starts, you know, and we don't have a lot of time, but getting into describing what you wear. He's not saying it's wrong to have braided hair. He's not saying it's wrong to have fine clothes or jewelry. Now, braided hair in the first century meant you were a prostitute. That's why he's saying that. That doesn't mean that today. Culturally, we're in a different environment. It's not wrong to have braided hair. It's not wrong to wear fine clothes and jewelry. What he's saying is, what are you putting your hope in? Are you spending more time focused on the externals, how you look, what you wear, or are you cultivating a soul and a mind that is pleasing to God? Because charm is deceptive. You know how this goes. Beauty is fleeting. You guys look great today. You guys look great on your wedding day. You know, you get that picture out. You see that? Yeah, I'm only like 20 years from that, and I, I don't look as good. But it says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Cultivate a heart. Cultivate a mind. Spend as much time on what you think, how you think, what you love, how you love, as you do how you look. Now, listen, you're going upstream on that one. Women, you're going upstream because our culture is totally pushing against you on that. Husbands, do not feed into that. They're already fighting an identity. Every culture oppresses women, but oppresses them in different ways. Be careful that your words do not lead her to slavery, to culture, and to image, but a love for Christ. He's saying, where do you get your identity from? Get your identity from a heart that loves God. You know, and I know we want to push against, I think in some ways it says a gentle and quiet spirit, you know. It seems so weak, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It is, it does. But realize that's how Jesus described himself. In Matthew 11, this is how Jesus described himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. What's he saying? He's saying, respond in such a way, live in such a way, may your character be such that it leads your husband to rest. It leads your children to rest. Why? Because what they find in you is wisdom. They find in you strength. They find in you peace. That when your husband goes to you because the world is constantly sending another image to him, it may not be just external beauty, 
Rather, our culture is also oppressing our men to say, hey, men, this is the kind of man you need to be. He needs to run to a place of safety, security, and rest. Just as when we run to Jesus, you know how Jesus made us great? Not by telling us to be great, but by calling greatness out of us. Jesus didn't say, hey, just be great. You know what he did? He blessed us when we didn't deserve to be blessed. He loved us when we didn't deserve to be loved. He sacrificed for us when we were not worthy of his sacrifice. He called greatness out of us, and through his gentleness, he brought us to rest. You with me? Because it's when he's at rest that he can hear the word. And so where are you getting your identity from? And then second, he's going to say, just don't put your identity in your appearance. But second, don't put your identity in your husband. And do not be afraid. So verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting their own husbands, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him, and this is a challenge. <laughs> you ready? Lord. Uh-oh. And you are our children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Real quick. This is not, this is not saying, women, you should call your husbands Lord. I know there's no challenge there. I know that's not going to happen, but... <laughs> It's not saying that. See, some passages are descriptive of what happened. You notice that? Some passages describe what someone did, and then it says, here, I'm going to prescribe what you need to do. It doesn't say, call your husband Lord. What does it say? It says, like the holy woman of the past, do not fear, but rather do good, Put your hope in God. What did Sarah do? She put her hope in God. Now, in her culture, calling Abraham Lord was respect and honor. you got to figure out what the word is in our culture. Maybe talk to your husband. Don't tear him down. What it's saying is use words that build him up in the cultural context in which we are. And see, what happened, the story of Sarah and Abraham? You know that story, right? God comes to Abraham and Sarah, hey, Sarah, Abraham, um, I know you're 90, but I'm going to give you a son. And what was Sarah's response? She laughed. She's like, you know my husband? Are you serious? You want me to trust my husband? That you're going to work through my husband? He's dried up, Literally. What, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. That's what the Hebrew says. He is dried up. And she laughs. Now, the funny thing is God comes to Abraham, Genesis 18, I think it's 18, 15 or 15, 18. And, and he says, you know, you, you laughed. And she's like, no, I didn't. He's like, yes, you did. It's kind of... But what, what happened was as soon as God gave this promise, and the promise was this, and, and women, it's the same promise you have today. If you will trust me, meaning not your husband, if you'll trust God, I'll work through him, and I'll work on him. You with me? If you trust in me, not in your husband. You're not showing respect to your husband because your husband is worthy of respect all the time. You're showing respect to your husband because God is worthy of respect. 
and you're trusting that through your husband, the promise will be fulfilled. Now, you may laugh. You're like, what, my husband? Do you know my husband? But here's the other side. Do not give in to fear. Which, which let me kind of turn that around. Husbands, do not love your wives. Lead in a way that leads her to fear. Because the greatest, I, I think, and I'm not a woman, so it's obvious. Sorry. Um, I think the greatest fear I, I would imagine for a woman is realizing that I married a child. Right? One mortgage in, three children in, credit card debt in, and you realize 15 years later, oh my goodness, I married a child. He does not know what it means to be a man. And so when it's saying honor her as the weaker partner, it's not saying that she is in some way weak, but physiologically... What it's saying is, husbands, in comparison to your strength, treat her with honor. Now, women gave birth to 10, 12 children in the first century, which meant there was a lot of weakness in their body. Every time they gave birth, they were close to death. Because the challenge in the first century was your identity, women's identity was in how many children they could have. And if you had a lot of children, you were seen as blessed by God. If you were barren, you were seen as cursed by God. The gospel says... No. Your identity is not in your children. Your identity is not in your parents. Your identity is in God's love for her. So husbands, love her in a way that recognizes the cultural challenges that she faces. Socially, physically. Don't don't breathe into that slavery. Rather, speak into her life in a way that liberates her, that allows her to experience your love, which means by the five love languages. You with me? Husbands. Figure out your wife's love language. My love language is service. If you clean up the kitchen, I feel loved. (laughs) But it doesn't work the same way for my wife. Her love language is her time and words of affirmation, spending time together, caring for each other. Well, you've got to learn not just to simply love her the way you want to be loved. You've got to love her in a way that she feels loved. That's all it's saying. Respond to her in a way that causes her to feel cherished. You see, the focus of this passage, again, isn't just simply on what we need to do. It's it's asking the question, in our relationships, what do we reflect? It's not just talking about what we need to do, but in our relationships, what do we need to reflect? So notice, and I just can't get into husbands. We'll get there next week, okay? Wives, sorry. We'll, We'll get him. But did you notice verse 1 and verse 7, how it starts? Likewise, likewise. Likewise what? Well, if you go back into chapter 2, what it's referring to is, as Jesus loved us, so we are to love one another. That at the heart of marriage is not self-fulfillment and it's not just sacrifice, it's the love of God. Our culture says get married to be self-fulfilled. On the far side, the real traditional side, hey, get married and sacrifice everything you possibly can. Marriage is not either one of those. It's not about simply self-fulfillment, and it's not about giving up everything you desire. What is marriage? It's self-sacrifice that leads to fulfillment. Listen, it's self-sacrifice that leads to fulfillment because what marriage is about is Jesus. It's about Jesus' relationship to the church. I don't know if you realize that the cross wasn't fun for Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, 
if this cup, if this event could pass from me, allow it to pass. I don't want to go through the cross. I don't want to sacrifice and serve, but I know it's in the best interest of the church. So Jesus, who is in every way, as Philippians 2 says, God, did not consider equality with God as something that he had to hold on to. It wasn't about his right. But rather what he did was he became a servant, humbled himself on a cross so that through his service and sacrifice, we might experience who God had really created us to be. See, what marriage is to be is a self-sacrifice that points one another to Jesus. That women... Respect your husbands in a way that drives him not to what you want, but to Jesus. Are you with me? You want to have self-fulfillment? Then drive him to Jesus Christ. Husbands, it's not about getting what we want. It's not about proving that we're working hard and that when we come home, everything should be taken care of. It's about honoring her in a way that drives her not to us and how wonderful we are, but to God's love and His sacrifice so that she feels protected, cherished, and respected in a way that draws out the beauty of God in her. Because God has created us male and female. The purpose of marriage is, one, to sanctify you. And that means to rub off the hard edges. And so when you see hard edges, they should be there. Because we're sinful. But what are you telling her about those things she needs to change? What are you telling him? What's the solution? Are we taking each other to the grace and the forgiveness and the love that is found in Christ, or are we simply saying, you don't measure up? If you're saying you don't measure up, he won't measure up. But if you're showing the sacrifice and humility that comes from God, he will see a beauty that over time will begin to change him. Are you with me? I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But if we're willing to trust God that he can work through us, his promise is to work through us and refine us. But we got to trust Him. we got to trust Him. And then as a church, listen, we've we, we got we to gotta protect each other. Husbands, you need to start calling out in each other the things that need to change. Don't, don't leave it up to her, because we see it. We see it too. We need to love men enough to speak into men's lives. And women, listen, when she's bad-mouthing her husband, you need to shut that down right there. I don't care if he is an idiot. It's not going to work. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Let's be pragmatic. What does work? Repentance and faith. Father, would you, would you come in and heal this mess? Would you heal my heart? I'm hurting. And would you show us, Lord, through your sacrifice, what it means to truly love each other? Let me pray for us. Father, I just pray for the, the hurt and the pain. I know that... Um, Lord, in us, there's this vision. I, we, we get angry at each other because we know it's better than this. We know that instinctively. It's got to be better than this. And yet, Father, our first reaction is to fight. Our first reaction is to argue. Our first reaction is, is to use everything in us to, to crush instead of just humbly saying, I'm desperate for you. Lord Jesus, uh, over the husbands, I just pray, Father, that they would humble themselves before you, first and foremost. Uh, Lord, they would confess that um, they need you. And Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you cause 
that desire to raise above the desire for for, for fulfillment in other areas, Father, would you allow that desire and need for Jesus Christ to be primary? And Father, I pray over these uh, women in this church, Lord, would we, as a church and as men, protect them from the the idolatry of of being what they, they do not need to be in your sight nor in our sight, but Father, You have chosen them as co-heirs. They are equal unto us and yet express that beauty in different ways. Lord, would we protect what you've given us? And Father, would we follow you and confess we need you? And Lord, at Bergen Park, we need your help over our marriages. Each one of us, we need your divine help to guide us. We love you, Father. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we respond in worship.